Today's date is Sunday, February 27th. We are reading from the Big Book of AA, pages 66 to 67. Lisa O will be our speaker and Rob R will be our reader. After, um, so Rob, you can go ahead and start the reading. Thank you, Maria. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rob, I'm a compulsive overeater. We're on the first full paragraph of page 66. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though the situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Thanks for letting me be of service. Thank you so much for reading, Rob. Now I'd like to introduce our speaker, Lisa O. And I'm really delighted that she's here with us today, and I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. So welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Maria. Uh, my name is Lisa O. I'm a compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Um, I'm going to take a couple minutes to qualify, and then I will go into this 
text that is very, certainly very relevant for me. And when I found out that these are the pages I was reading, it was like, of course, of course they are um, perfect for the angry resentment machine that I was when I came into OA. Um, I have had issues with food for as long as I can remember about the only part of the big book that I can't relate to is the part where it says that perhaps if we had intervened with problem drinkers early enough, um, we would have been able to kind of correct course and make it so that they could be more moderate drinkers. Um, for me, my mother used to tell me that I was never happier than when I was sitting in my high chair with my Cheerios. So I don't know at what age I would have needed to be intervened with to be a normal eater, but it would have been, I guess when I was breastfeeding, I'm not sure. Um, I remember being fixated by food uh, for as long as I can remember. There are so many family events where I can't remember what happened. I can't remember who was there, but I can definitely remember what the birth, what the cake looked like, what the desserts looked like, what the food was. Um, I used to eat really weird things when I was a kid. I remember one time eating an entire huge bottle of chewable vitamin C's because they tasted good. Um, we had some flavored bubble bath that it took me multiple times to realize that it wasn't a yummy bubblegum flavored thing. It, it, the smell of bubblegum was not actually what it tasted like. I had to keep going back over and over again to confirm it, um, which, you know, a normal person would not have to, would not even try it once. Um, when I was about eight or nine years old, that was when the weight started coming on. I remember being nine years old and needing to shop in the women's section because the children's clothes were now too small for me because I was so heavy. Um, I, my mother used to criticize me a lot about my weight. Um, and when I was a teenager, that was when I started to realize that if I could take the weight off, then I would get a lot of positive feedback about myself. And it seemed like people really started to love me then. Um, so that was when the restricting started. Um, I'm also an exercise bulimic, um, and then the exercise stuff started when I was about 16. Um, I became, I joined my first gym. I started going every single day. I wouldn't let myself leave until I had burned a certain number of calories. Um, and that has really continued uh, up until I came into OA. Um, I have I have like an encyclopedic knowledge of how many calories are in certain foods. Um, I can tell you, uh, how much time you need to spend at the gym doing what exercise at what intensity to burn those things off. Um, but I have absolutely no idea what healthy quantities of food are, what healthy portions are, um, because that's not the way I live my life. Um, before coming into OA, I was living in a self-made prison where I looked really good to, from the outside. Um, I mean, I definitely have had times where my weight has gone up as high as 200 pounds, and I've had times where it's been down as low as 115 pounds, um, and I've gained and lost cumulatively hundreds, of, hundreds and hundreds of pounds since I was a teenager. Um, but for the most part, I presented as somebody who was really active and fit, and nobody really saw what was happening. It was like in The Wizard of Oz, where they pull back the curtain and it's not the omnipotent wizard, it's this sad little man who's frantically pulling all of these levers and buttons to make it look like he's got everything under control when really he absolutely does not. Um, and that was what things were like for me if people got close enough, but almost nobody did because I wanted to keep the facade of having everything under control. Um, 
I found out about OA about five years before I came into my first meeting. Um, I wanted to take the easier, I thought that there were easier ways that I could help myself with my food problems. I remember pinning the 12 steps um, on my bulletin board at work, thinking that I'll like absorb them from osmosis, which doesn't work. Um, I also thought if I found the right therapist, if I went to the right retreat, if I did the right meditation thing, like I would magically fit my, fix myself. Um, and it never worked. And every few months I'd go back on the OA website thinking like this time or thinking like maybe this time I should do it, but I'd always tell myself I'm not that bad. Um, and then eventually I got, they say OA is the last house on the block. I got to the last house and there was nothing else left for me to do. Um, I have gone to a meeting pretty much every day since I first came into OA almost a year ago. I knew two seconds into my first meeting that I finally found my tribe. I finally found people who knew what it was like to live like I was living. And I haven't looked back since. Um, so as I said, when I started, I can relate a lot to these paragraphs, as I think many people can. Um, this reading starts off by saying it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Um, there's somebody else in OA who says that uh, resentment means to refeel. So it's those emotions that we keep going over, over and over and over again in our minds. Um, I'm the type of person who can go from zero to 100 in about three seconds. So if something happens that's upsetting to me, I'm like that, I'm off. And then it takes me hours to days to get back down to zero because I just really need to focus and ruminate on all the things that were wrong or how upset I am. I need to spend time thinking about the person who did me wrong, how wrong they were, what I should have done to address it, what I'm going to do next time they do something wrong. When I have the chance, I'm going to like really get them. Um, when I was doing my four-step inventory, I there were many people on my list whose names I couldn't remember anymore, but you'd better believe that I remembered what they'd done to me um, because that's how stuck I am. Um, on when I think people do things wrong. Um, I have, when I'm stuck in the resentment place, I'm not really ever fully present with life. Um, I'm stuck in the echo chamber of my own misery. I can't see anyone or anyone, anything or anyone else around me. I'm totally focused on what's happening in my little mud puddle of rage. And if people say, hey, Lisa, come, come play, come do something fun, come be fully present. It's like, no, I need to spend more time being angry and resentful because that's where I want to be. And that's where I'm comfortable. Um, for me in program, when I'm feeling resentful, I cannot get close to my higher power. When I have that when I'm in that place of the echo chamber of my own resentment, it's like I'm walking around with a mirror in front of my face. I can see myself. I can see everything that's wrong. I can't see the bigger picture about anything. I can't see anybody else. I can't see what they're dealing with, what they're suffering with. It's all about me and it's all about my suffering. And it says in the book that this is the place where the insanity of, to, insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. Um, what drove me to the food over and over again was my emotions. It, they say in a way that it's not about the food. The, or the food isn't the problem. Food is a solution to the problem. My problem was that I didn't know how to deal with my feelings. Solution, food was my solution to literally every problem that I had. If I felt tired, go get some food. If I feel restless, need some food. If I have a bad day, going to get some food. If I have a good day, going to get food for that too, because I need to celebrate that I had a good day. Um, 
when in program, what I need to keep doing to keep that pathway to my higher power clear is to keep doing those 10 steps every single day. I need to keep the pathway to my higher power clear by clearing out those resentments, by having an arena where I can talk to somebody else about what's happening for me and work through what my part in it is. Um, I'm on a 10 step train, which has been incredibly helpful to me because I'm the kind of person where I, if I'm left up to my own devices, I'm not going to make that 10 step call every day. I'm going to tell myself that it's not that big of a deal, that I don't need to bother people, that there are other people who have bigger problems than I do. And then I'm going to get myself into a situation slowly, but surely where I'm going to have a relapse and I'm going to go back to the food because things have built up and built up and built up to the point where I can't handle it anymore. Um, I know that other people aren't like this. They don't need to have that constant um, checking in and constant clearing of emotions, but I am an addict and I do need to have that. And without program, I am an angry resentment machine and there is no amount of therapy and no amount of any other healing modality, which are all great. I'm not, I do therapy every week. I'm absolutely not knocking therapy, but it is not going to help me stay clean. What helps me stay clean and out of the food is this program. Um, the reading goes on to say, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. This is a part of the reading where I disagree slightly with the big book here. Um, I think that the word anger needs to be parsed out a little bit. I think the use of the word anger is a reflection of the time when the book was written and who it was written by. Um, as a woman, um, anger is, for me, anger is something that it's a way to tell somebody that they've stepped on my boundaries because it happens when we're out in the world that people do things that are really not okay. And anger can be a really helpful and positive emotion to say like, look, what happened wasn't okay. You hurt my feelings. Um, I'm not feeling good about this. And I think a lot of the time for women, especially, we're encouraged to not ever be angry because that's not something that nice girls do. Um, and I think that it's happened for me in program where I had this really amazing 10 step call once every once in a while I get on a 10 step call with somebody and it's like higher power has just like teleported this person in to give me exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And I did this 10 step call with this um, messenger who said that 10 steps can be used as a way to really beat ourselves up in program. Um, which I, after some reflection, I really do agree with. Um, the goal of the program is not for me to be a doormat. It's not to let people treat me however they want to treat me. The goal of program is for me to stop getting into a place where I'm a rage machine. And rage, I think, is actually the emotion that I need to really avoid. Um, rage is the combination of shame and anger. It's when I feel angry and I can't, won't, or don't feel safe expressing that anger. So it becomes locked up with shame because this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and then I let that emotion brew and I let it fester and I sit and I think about it and I just, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows into something that can be completely explosive. Um, so when it does come out, it's not a quick, hey, that's not okay. It's a volcano. Um, and, you know, there's a pretty good chance that that rage might not come out at the person who caused the rage or the institution or whatever that caused the rage in the first place. It's going to come out at a really inappropriate time. It's going to probably come out at somebody who didn't deserve it, or it's going to come up, come out at a place where I'm going to be totally humiliated because I've acted poorly. 
which just then leads to more shame. And the vicious circle continues of me being a ruminative resentment machine. Um, I, sorry, then the reading goes on to say, um, we began to see the world and its people really dominated us. Um, one of the most important life lessons I've ever learned is that nobody can make me feel anything. And that if I'm in a place where somebody's making me feel something, I've given them a hundred percent power over me. I've made it so that I'm a puppet and they're controlling the puppet strings. And like, that's not an amazing place at all. I've given my agency and I've given my power away. Um, I remember I was in a relationship with somebody once and he came to me one day and he said, you know, my therapist told me, Lisa, that your emotions are your responsibility. And I looked at him and I said, your therapist is an effing idiot, but I did not say the word effing um, because, you know, I'm fine. Then you come along and I'm not fine. So clearly you're making me feel all of these crappy emotions. Um, but what I've since learned, and this relates back to the theater story, which is on page um, 60 to 62, I think, I can leave the theater. I can say, like, I'm not feeling good right now. I'm not liking how this interaction is going. And I'm just going to, you know, head out. Um, and that's something that, and it's not always easy to head out. Um, but it's something that I need to keep in mind and that I need to do to protect myself and keep myself safe and to not get into a place where I get so revved up that picking up the food starts to seem like a really good idea. Um, next, it says that we realize that the people who harmed us were perhaps spiritually sick. One of the gifts of this program is that I've been able to start seeing the humanity in other people. I've started to care about other people besides myself which is not always an easy thing to do because some people are really difficult and some people make it super hard to have compassion for them. I take a lot of comfort that there, I follow certain, I'm not gonna, it's outside issues, so I'm not gonna get into it, but I follow certain um, Eastern uh, spiritual leaders who say, these are people who have meditated, spent years of their lives practicing meditation and mindfulness. And they say that they still need to work all the time at compassion, which makes me feel better as a civilian who has certainly not done anywhere near that amount of personal growth work and um, spiritual exploration on myself. Um, continues to say, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience we are cheerfully grant a sick friend. So here's the 10th step, one of, or the, sorry, one of the prayers from when we do our 10 steps it's really incredible how this has worked in my life. Um, I went from the kind of person who, if I'm a, I like to run. And so I'm interacting a lot with cars on the road. And before coming into program, if there was a car on the road who did something that I didn't like, like they almost hit me or they splashed water for me, it was like in one second, I turn into the Terminator. And I was like, I need to chase down this car to tell them exactly what I think about them and how they have messed up my day. And there were going to be a lot of expletives coming out of my mouth. I'll see you next Tuesday, Mr. Bad Person in the car. Um, and then I'd be angry and resentful <laughs> the whole rest of the way home and probably for multiple days after that. Um, since coming into program, I've had these experiences where I'm out running and the same things happen. And it's just like, eh, like whatever, I got splashed with water, who cares? 
And the first few times it happened, I was like, like, what is happening? Who am I? Who is this person who's <laughs> freak out? Who isn't on a, whose temper is not on a hair trigger? Like, and so what I, now that it's happening more and more, I'm like, oh, like it's possible to live in the world in a different way. And this is a new thing that I can get used to. And this feels really good now to not be at the mercy of other people's behavior. Um, and to not be in this place where I'm constantly judging things and putting things into the box of this is bad, this is wrong, you did X or Y. Um, I'm not God. It's not up to me to be judging the behavior of others. And as soon as I classify something as being bad, I'm immediately putting a value judgment on it. I'm immediately making it something that I need to be upset about rather than just letting it be like a neutral thing that happened that I don't need to have, that I don't need to cling to or have ownership over. Um, continues to say, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. Um, says in the big book that we can't be helpful to everybody, which I think, as I said before, there are some people where it's really difficult to be, they make it very difficult to be compassionate. Um, and as soon as I make their behavior about me, it becomes personal and my ego becomes involved. Not everything is always about me. In fact, almost nothing is about me. <laughs> In my brain, I want to make absolutely everything about me. And that's not the place that I want to be in because that means my ego is involved and it means I'm going to get really trumped up and angry. Um, I also don't want to be in a place where I'm countering someone else's aggression or anger with my own aggression or anger. I like to look at anger now as a gift that someone else is trying to give me. They have their anger and they're like, here, Lisa, do you want to have this? And then it's up to me to take it and say, yes, I would. And I'm going to add my own to it. And then we're going to be in this big mess of emotions versus saying, you know what? I don't want this gift. Thank you. But no, thanks. You can keep your anger. You can keep your aggression. You can keep your rage. And I'm going to be here and I'm going to be okay. And for me, that's the difference between reacting or responding. Uh, we say a lot in a way that I'm not responsible for my th first thought, but I am absolutely responsible for my first action. Um, there's also another saying that I really like, which is the difference between fault and responsibility. I am the way I am because a whole bunch of things happened in my life. Uh, I had have had very, I had a very difficult upbringing. I came from a very difficult family situation. All of my issues, I have a thousand percent earned and I come by them all honestly. My upbringing is not my fault. I did not ask to be brought into the world by the people who brought me into the world. It is my responsibility to deal with all of the issues that have arisen because of the way my upbringing was. Um, I need to, I don't get to behave however I want to behave because of how my childhood was. And I spent a long time thinking that because I have crappy parents, I get to do X, Y, and Z, and it's too bad for you if you don't like it. Um, what I don't transmute, I transmit. So it, that's why I am just this angry rage machine person. Um, I need to know now, or, and I do know now that I don't get to behave how I want. I have to be in a place where I recognize that other people are confused and hurting just like I am. And I need to have that compassion towards them and also keep in the back of my mind that other people don't have program like I do. Um, and I think I'm almost out of time. So I'm just going to close with 
it's my timer. I'm just going to close with one more thing. Um, says, last thing I'll say is that it, we need to put out of our minds the wrongs that others had done. When I point my finger at you about the thing that you've done wrong, there are three fingers pointing back at me about the things, about my ownership of the situation too, because every interaction between two people is a two-way street. And so I need to acknowledge that when I'm getting triggered by somebody, what is it that they're doing that is upsetting me? Because sometimes it's that they're upsetting me because they're showing me something about myself that I don't want to see or acknowledge, which happens a lot in those very close relationships, like with our parents and our partners and our children where we're seeing something that we don't really want to see. Um, and so with that, I will pass. And thank you so much for asking me to share.